friends, welcome to episode 220 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I am Sarah. I'm Rob. And we are we are just batting a, a thousand we're today, a match aren't set. we? Uh, yeah. my, my computer has just decided that it is arbitrarily going to lag here while I'm trying to open up the show notes for today. And uh, it has opened up like four copies of the same window and then lagged while I was trying to scroll an old show sheet up to the the top the top so I could read the intro. And, and I'm like, tea isn't even ready yet. Yeah, like, you know, it's we're all just scrambling today, man. It's yeah. it's it's been it's been a day. It's been a day uh, for like three days. Yeah, you've you've had some uh, some unfortunate family business to handle, so it's been a rough day for you. Yeah, I just unburied myself from like a week and a half backlog at work. Dealt yeah. with a migraine all weekend because my my back and my neck were screwed up. Man, I am so ready for Wednesday night therapy night, and thank you for being here with me. Yeah. And thank you all in the live show chat. Yes, we appreciate you all being, being here around. with us, and thank you every one of our listeners. We love you guys. We really do. We really do. You guys make literally every part of this worth it. Like, I almost sent that out in a message today because uh, to to give Sarah a couple moments of breath here and to fill in the gap, um, I had a death in the family. Um, I'm not going to say it wasn't un- was unexpected, but um for those of you who have dealt with it in the past um my my aunt in particular who is my father's uh last relative so he is the currently the uh the patriarch of the family um she passed on uh last week uh very comfortably but unfortunately after I'm going to say two years of fighting uh, a an unfortunate losing battle of dementia and um, Alzheimer's. And it was it was hard to watch it all disappear. Um, but one of the things that came out of it, and I found it kind of comforting, and I'm glad my mom was there to really help her through it, was that even though she was losing so much of her memory and so much of her life, she... She remembered music, and she used to sing a lot. Yeah, uh, and that was a huge part of her life. Um, and so, when a musician came into the men- memory therapy uh, sessions to to help people, he would always find music that the person knew, regardless of of you know w- what their background or anything like that. He'd find something that they recognized, uh, and often, even if they couldn't recall, um, if they couldn't recall how to speak even they couldn't necessarily read something they would Mm -hmm. remember all of the lyrics and the melody of a song because it's mapped differently and uh my aunt was one of those people who could just sing and it was wonderful and my mom would see how much she would enjoy it and uh so it was really nice to to hear that to know that uh she was still finding enjoyment and being able to bond and connect all the way to the end yeah uh and so, so if you're hearing lilts and things in my voice, especially tonight, it's that I'm, uh, I'm feeling that we, we weren't, we were close as a family, but like, I didn't see a lot of my aunt. There was a lot of tradition, mm-hmm. but that was, that was the big part about it. But mostly I feel for my parents who were exceptionally close to her, especially these last two years. Yeah. Um, yeah. my mom took so much care of her. Um, so yeah. 
So there's that. Yep. So that, that's me in a nutshell. So Well, here's Wednesday Night Therapy. Yes, so here we are. And here's just surrounding ourselves with uh, loved ones and uh, things that we love. Yes, yes, very much so. We've actually a... I didn't know if this show was going to be a big show or a little show, and it got a lot bigger because I, I went back looking. And I'm like, we've kind of done this before, and I'm like, have we? I mean, we have talked about this inside of other shows, but we've never really specifically talked about uh, handling external player motivators. We always talk about plots. We've talked about hooks. We've talked about ways to get them drawn in. We've talked about different players and, and the kinds of players that sit at your table, but we've never really taken the time to go, okay, put all these pieces together. What does that really look like? You know? Mm-hmm. And and how do we use that in an effective way? And I think, I think we have a lot here to go over, but... I'm going to say this. Um, if this is something you're interested in, we did have two previous shows that kind of express this in different ways. One was uh, episode 175, which was our Storyteller one-on-one on building investment, which I think is a really good episode that we did on getting your players invested in the world and in the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it touches into some of the hooks and things like that that we're, we're going to discuss here um, that pull into this. The second one was strolling into meta, and that's just the concept of working in meta with your players that you you can break the veil there's i mean a lot of the i'll say a lot of the grognards you yeah. know who 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 had it it was always like the wall of the shield this is where the truth sits and you learn the pieces of lies that you're going to accept you yeah, know yeah <laughs> yeah you, you 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 behind the screen are the master manipulator and they never get to peek behind there and see what's really going on and yeah, like they can discover it with dice yeah, you know and it's like no that's that's not you don't really need to do that like if that's how you run your game okay but you know you actually can be like hey uh Come on back here behind the screen. Take a look at this. Tell me what you think. You know, you know it's, like... and it's not even necessarily even you have to go that far. But a, a huge portion of meta is understanding what your players know. Yeah. What they believe so that you can have the story progress in a way that makes sense. What because they, what they expect to happen, too. Yeah. Is, I, mean, is, I think is an important thing. You know, you, you have this vision because you have all of the information. They don't. Mm-hmm. And so what they see is vastly different than you. And sometimes it's it's cleaner for when you hear it from them, you go, oh, I guess I guess that is exactly how it looks. And if I do this other thing, they're not going to have a clue what it means. I'm going to have to, oh, God, I'll have to spell it all out. You know what? I like their idea better. Yeah. You know, and sometimes that just works great. Yeah. Um. So so going through those two episodes are really good. But tonight it's it's that. You may have hooked your players. You may have some investment um, based on how they're playing, or maybe you don't. But things tend to fall off at a certain point. And, uh, uh, like, I've watched a lot of games where people are like, yeah, I ran this as an adventure and my players kept playing, but then it got boring for Mm -hmm. them. Like, I couldn't keep their attention. Like, yeah, my plot was good, but they really didn't understand why their characters were there. Yeah. They weren't. They finished the thing they came to finish. What's going on now? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I even in your game, I mm-hmm. had a moment where I kind of sat you down. and I was like, I don't know why my character's here anymore. Yeah. Literally, literally every attachment she had is gone, and she hasn't been with this new group long enough to form new attachments. So, yeah. 
she's kind of adrift at this point, and I don't know how much she cares about their big crusade, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like So you came up with a really great thing to get me involved. You're like, what do you care about? You care about safety and family mm-hmm. and, you know... And power. <laughs> and, and, and power and these things, and I can offer them to you as plot hooks. Yeah. Okay, yeah, instantly then I was like, oh, okay, now, yeah, now I have to stick around. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So, so that's where we... We have to examine that um, and understand what it means. Because, like, sometimes it's obvious. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have players who go from being, I'm the fighter who's, you know, who's guarding the cleric. And now the clerical order recognizes him. So now he has a job. Now it is your job to to follow this emissary, this cleric, Mm -hmm. to do our will. Okay, now I know why I'm here. I'm his guard. Yeah, sure. You know, uh, in my game, you know. People pair up like, mm-hmm. oh, this is this is my manservant now turned, you know, a partner. Mm-hmm. And and so, yes, of course, I'm I'm going to follow her wherever she goes, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so a lot of it uh, sometimes naturally happens, but it doesn't mean it's going to naturally happen for all of your players. Um, even if they meet reoccurring NPCs that they've built some trust with. Yes, that trust can bond, but it also can get kind of boring to a degree but it doesn't it takes time to build those trust layers yeah if it's not something that started or meta discussed right off the bat right right you know some systems literally you build the town with your players and they Mm. know everybody in town okay they know who they can trust and who they can't sure it's literally written in the notes when you started session zero right you know but four episodes into an adventure where they came to a town there, there there's nothing there yeah and and that's that's really kind of where the heart of this discussion then lies is like once once you've kind of gotten past the like generic motivators of like riches and power and um people you've never met before need saving from enemies you've never met before and you happen to be holding a sword and in the right place at the right time you fulfilled the quest yes exactly like <laughs> once you've gotten past those things how do you make your characters like really genuinely care and want to get involved and stay involved in things, you know? Yeah. So, uh, I guess one of the first questions we ask then is, uh, like, are we talking player motivation mm-hmm. or are we talking character motivation? And more importantly, does it matter? Does the difference between those things matter in this case? I dare say that at the beginning the answer is yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, because most players aren't trained actors. They're not... They're not grabbing a role that's been defined that someone else has explained to them and said, this is a character you shall play. Mm-hmm. And these are their motivations, you know, bleed it out under the stage. You know, those right, th- that's right. not happening. It's like, dude, I made a I made a fighter who who has a tragic past. I don't, I don't even know how I feel about that tragic be past. be in character for a whole week before games. So you can method act at the table. <laughs> right. It's it's rare that characters are fully realized individuals with aspirations, goals, directions in their lives, even if it's on the sheet. as such yeah it is exceptionally hard to get that because you you aren't they that is that that is the character yeah yeah it takes time to get to that and flat out i'll say this most people don't have that crap locked down so it's really hard to make the jump to a character that's in front of you it's true it's true and one thing i'm 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 fond of saying too is that uh no character survives contact with the table ever 
ever. Yeah. Uh, I, I Every single time I play a game, I have an idea of how that character is going, like what their attitudes, what yeah. their hopes, aspirations, yeah. how they'll react to certain situations kind yeah. of going in so I know how to, how I can pl- role play mm-hmm. in session one. Yeah. Never ends up that way. No. And I, I dare say that even if you watch like TV shows, that's often the case. You have like the the dumpy, you know, kind of dopey surfer dude, mm-hmm. you know, who comes in and, like, has an aloof existence, right? He's not there to be a bro of the group and yet is drawn to do things that are with them for some reason and changes him completely. Ratings. Now, exactly. That's Ratings. usually what it does. People are like, that character was awesome. We'd like to see more stories of him. Like, oh, okay. So I, we meant for him to be a five-minute cameo, but I guess he can get his own episode or two. Yeah. I mean, or main plot arc. Okay. <laughs> and the other thing that I think is happens a lot is that when you start playing the character, you find the parts of you, the player, that fit the puzzle pieces that lock together with the character yeah. where you two agree on something mm-hmm. that happened and it has to happen. It's hard for you to imagine going through fictitious things in your mind and situations and then keep those as reality for that character until they occur. Sure. So it isn't until you sit down at the table with a bunch of other people and go through a tough situation where yeah. you have to make a decision before it imprints and you're like, this is how they reacted. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's how I reacted. And then now it's there. Now it's a memory. Mm-hmm. So now you get 10 episodes in and like, okay, I kind of know my character now. I'm not the same person I was at session zero because experience changed me. You know, are they still there for the story? Right? Are they going? Are they willing to be there? Is that the same character? Because at the beginning they had X interest. Now they're involved. Is that interest still the same thing? Or are they looking for something specific because the story presented it? Like in your case, in my game, you kind of had one vision. You were a guide in the story. Mm-hmm. That fell away very quickly. Yeah. I mean, I would say pretty darn quickly. But replacing it with something that your character could attach to, which was this idea that there were powerful items out there, mm-hmm. things that could enhance you. Yeah. And individuals who could kind of point you in that path while you were doing it. Yeah. To give you more of it. And that somewhere inside kind of re- reignited the fire a little bit. Well, the, the the core was she wanted to protect people. She wanted to keep She wanted to keep things safe and generally cool mm-hmm. for everyone around her. Yeah. And so her, her job as a guide was basically making sure that that was the status quo for people who journeyed through the mountains. Yeah. You know? Yeah. She gets hired onto this group. This group is like, hey, we've got this bigger thing going on. Like, okay, cool. I can keep them safe and protect them as well. Yeah. Then an apocalypse happens. 280 years pass. We get true resurrected into the future. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now all that stuff is gone. What is my motivation? <laughs> but yeah. my motivation remains the same. Yeah. Who do I need to protect? These yeah. people. Oh, and also these new people I, I just met who I am now emotionally entangled with. Yeah. How can I keep them safe? Well, there is a rogue god on the loose. Mm-hmm. I'm going to need a lot of power to do that. In fact, yeah. the more power I have, the safer I can keep them. Yep. And that and that was that was it. That was the whole motivator. Yeah, and it's but it's recognizing that mm-hmm. both helping the player recognize that, but also understanding the character and then seeing that all come together. Yes, yes. I mean, some people just sit at the table to play the game. Sure, like 
You sit down at the table because it's cute mice with little swords and tiny capes, and you're like, this sounds awesome, and I'm in. Mm -hmm. Right? You're not sure exactly why you're there as a character because you're not thinking (laughs) about it, you know? Yeah. But the other part that always gets me beyond even that is you also have the players who listen to the game. They're watching it almost like a show that mm-hmm. they're involved in. And I, I, I'm I, going to call that the Telemundo effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Just, you need to know what's happening. Like, you want to know what that is. You're, you're shipping something going on there. And you're oh, like, sure. I'm, I'm down for whatever this is here. Yeah, like, exactly. The character might not be, but I'm not here for the My character is literally just a camera waiting to see what's going on. I actually, I tend to, I tend to be like that. I find, yeah. I find that I'm pretty quiet at games. I don't like to be, like, the main character that's up in everybody's, you know, that's, like, driving the plot and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I absolutely adore the drama that's going on around me and stuff like that. Yeah. I think the I think the truth behind character motivations is that they're really not actualized until the player loses themselves in the role. Yeah. And I yeah. you hear it with actors all the time. They'll, they'll lose themselves in a moment. And, uh, like, I was listening to Anna Kendrick uh, uh-huh. talk about uh, her one of her most recent roles where she was in, I can't remember the name of the movie, please help me chat if you know of it, uh, where she basically is in a relationship with a very controlling individual. Mm-hmm. And she goes out to this lake house with her girlfriends but lies to him and says that's not where she's going. Mm-hmm. And she ends up coming out of the water, almost drowning with this other girl helping her. And she's like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Apparently in that scene... Every time they were doing the scene, they were cleaning the sand off of her. And she's wet. And it's really hard to get it off this, like, sweater. And so they're trying to rub it off her. And Anna just got to the point where she was just like, I can't. She couldn't communicate it to them. Uh But, like, the fellow actor and the whole set kind of recognized that moment that she was dropped in character so hard that she was bleeding the lines and the feelings of the character into that moment as yeah. an actor. And they just gave her space. Yeah. And they were just like, just the sand is fine. The sand is fine, you know? Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was really beautiful that, like, she could lose herself. But I also re- recognize those moments mm-hmm. when you have something that you you feel passionate about happening in the game and then something binds against it and you you have a visceral emotional reaction to it that makes you move through your character, makes you actually avatar them to the point where you lose yourself in the role and you start blending player and character into the challenge. And it's it's not something that you can make happen. Yeah, yeah, you can, you can't summon that. Yeah. You can't summon that. It has to happen organically in the moment. And and it's hard. It doesn't happen in every game. I've I've had multiple characters where I've never caught lightning in that bottle. Oh yeah, sure. Doesn't mean I didn't like the character that I was playing, but or that you didn't enjoy the game. No, but it, it wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. Like but when I have like Theodore and I've definitely had those moments. Yeah. You've seen it happen at the table. Yes, I have. And I've had to step away from it in my own mind frame of like, okay, that got deep. Like mm-hmm. yeah. But at the same time, I learned something more about the character and the experience. The, the the good thing too is that you you lost yourself in Theodane, but you still retained yourself mm-hmm. enough to like not become a menace. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I specifically remember one of those one of those those situations where you you just turned to uh, to Sean's character and you were like, "Okay, excuse me, but." And this is in character. F you! I, did. I totally <laughs> just, just effed him and then walked out. <laughs> it just stormed off. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, that was 
brisk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that it was, was amazing. But it was it was exactly where it needed to be. Yeah, it lane. Yeah, it hit no. that lane and that line. It was, so. a, it was a great moment in character. But like, you don't get those moments if you know you don't find that engagement. You know? Right. And and you don't have to lose yourself into a sure, character. Sure, sure, sure. That sure. is not something you have to do. But. There's something special about that, and we wouldn't be storyteller conclave if we didn't talk about going that deep. Right, right, you know? right, right. So, uh, so let's let's actually t- let's, let's segue a little bit, okay. um, and let's talk about uh, the different types of motivators because I think the the thing that that I was having a little bit of a problem with when I was like, okay, let's let's have a discussion about how to motivate players. Mm-hmm. And I quickly realized that the answer to that question is which player exactly. No, that that's one hundred percent. Solid. Um, and so recognizing the different types of players um, is very important. Now, look, there are dozens of lists of categorizations of here are the different types of players you'll find in your TTRPG. Here's 20 different types of players. Here's eight different types of players. Here's mm-hmm. the three different types of players. They've all got different names for them, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. We're not going to drown you with a categorization list here. I found a couple that I liked. Okay. Um okay. that I that I think kind of explain them and I'm going to go over them quickly because I think we all know people like this and keep in mind first off there are no judgments whatsoever in any of these. No. These are all neutral, like morally and ethically neutral typings here, okay? Yeah. So if if I say the words like power gamer like or killer, killer is one of the li- one on those list. Yeah. That's not to say that this is like a murder hobo that will be disruptive to your game. No, that okay. could be anybody. Um second off, um that uh we are all blends of these different types. Mm-hmm. Nobody is purely one or another. Sometimes it's system to system, sometimes it's table to table, sometimes it's game to game. Like I've I've yeah. definitely been one of these harder in certain games because I chose to lean into that. Yeah, and certain games, certain games, certain game systems oh, are definitely. environments that encourage and foster certain parts of your personality to come out. And stories do the same thing. Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. Um so a couple different things here that I've that I, that, that I found. Uh there was a uh, uh Bartles player types. I think I remember seeing these. Uh now there are four of them ostensibly, but each of the four is broken into two more. So there's mm-hmm. technically eight, okay? Mm-hmm. You've got your killer, mm-hmm. the achiever, the mm-hmm. socializer, and the explorer. Yeah, a lot of these also map to um like I remember there was a large discussion about this in designing MMOs. Yes. Like, how yes. do you make sure you cover the entire graph? And I, psychograph? Uh, psychographs, yes. Psychograph. Um, to make sure that you meet your market spectrum effectively. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't a demographic. This is literally playtype. Yeah. In fact, I think this list was actually more in reference to video games than they are to TTRPGs. But I think I think a lot of the same, you know, things. You know, I, I think there's a lot of crossover there. Enough enough that it's applicable to our discussion. Well, definitely, especially with MMOs, because you get a much larger pool all yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Versus, like, at your table, you may have two of the same thing. Right. You know, and two other right. people. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's not even enough to do a dungeon in a in, a, in an yeah, MMO. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> so, exactly. Um, so the killer, the killer is kind of broken in between two things here. Um, there's the killer and the competitor. Mm-hmm. The killer enjoys conquest and winning. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're the ones who can go out and they're like, "We beat this big boss," and that makes them feel good. The competitor enjoys a challenge. We beat this boss on hard mode, and that's fulfilling. Okay. 
Then you've got uh, the Achiever. The Achiever's broken into the Collector mm -hmm. and the Expert. The Collector wants neat stuff. Yeah. That's their 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 straightforward stuff motivated. Mm -hmm. The expert wants to accomplish a great goal or become the best at something. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, can see that. I want to become the best blacksmith. Right. You know. Right. Uh, there's the socializer. The socializer is broken into the rock star and the coach. The okay. rock star wants to be adored. They want to be the center of attention. Mm -hmm. They are going. The more friends that they make, the more people who adore them, the better they feel mm -hmm. about it. Whereas the coach thrives on cooperation and teamwork. Mm -hmm. Okay, if they can facilitate their team winning, mm -hmm. that's when they feel good. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the explorer broken into the detective and the navigator. Yep. The detective wants to dig into things and discover the secrets and piece things together. You know. Mm -hmm. um, this is a big part of, like, why uh, lore junkies love Dark Souls. Yeah. Of all games. Yeah. Because there's so much to dig into, little lore nuggets scattered all over the place. Yeah. That if you read the item description on this helmet and that sword mm -hmm. and this coin, mm -hmm. it tells a story. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah. that's, that's the detective. And then, of course, the navigator wants to see new places, have new adventures in different yeah. different venues and just... You know, they want the fresh experiences. Yeah, I loved I loved being the navigator in a lot of MMOs. I just wanted to see the world. Yeah. I didn't even care about fighting anything. Like, let me climb to the top of this place and look what's over the edge of the wall. Exactly. I remember you telling me, well, like, a beta, was it the beta test for, like, New World or something like that. You were like, I just ran east. Yeah, naked ran east until I was going to hit a coast or died. Yeah, you're like, times. it took me three hours, but I ran east. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, so those those are some great some great player types there and and again they they lend into what their motivations are. Yeah. Um, the other one that I found recently, I was listening to another podcast. A shout out shout out to uh, to Poor Hammer, the the yeah. podcast. I uh, started listening to them recently, and they're just a great great couple of guys there. Um, and uh, they were talking about uh, magic Magic the Gathering specifically, but Wizards of the Coast to come up with these uh, three types that they use. I think just internal for like marketing. Yeah, I've I've heard the types. I can't remember where I heard them referenced, um, but I I think it fits very well mm -hmm. in that design. I right. really do. But these these are these are personality types that they 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 talk about um, of why people want to play Magic the Gathering. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, again, I found them pretty applicable to TTRPGs as well. Yeah. You've got the Timmy, the Johnny, and the Spike. Mm -hmm. Okay. The Timmy likes using big flashy things. Mm -hmm. um, now, in, in like the Warhammer 40K sense, that's like they want the biggest, most bombastic looking model. Yeah. They don't care if its stats suck. They don't care if it doesn't fit tactically with their army. Mm -hmm. They may they may never win with the thing. It may get blown off the table in turn two. But damn it, that model looks cool. Yeah. You know? So you translate this to something like D and D and it's like they just they just wanna use wish. Yeah. You know, they wanna use they wanna use meteor swarm. Yeah. You know, they wanna get that seventeenth level ability that allows them to attack seventeen times. Yeah. You know, and crit on fifteen pluses or whatever, you know. Yeah. Because it's cool. Yeah. They they wanna have great moments like this. I had quite a bit of Timmy in me when you did. I played your in your D and D game. Mm -hmm. Um specifically, uh at a formative age, I played Final Fantasy Ten. Mm-hmm. And uh, in there, you can summon a uh, a creature that is pretty common to uh, Final Fantasy games named Shiva, who is a basically an ice goddess. Mm -hmm. In this particular one, she drifts down from the sky, 
she blasts your enemies with a gale force, like hundred degree or hundred mile an hour, uh, icy wind that freezes them. Mm-hmm. Like ice, icicles literally form at like a twenty degree angle. Yeah, off of them mm-hmm. because the wind is blowing them horizontally. Mm-hmm. And once all your enemies are good and encrusted in ice, she waits just a moment, smiles, snaps her fingers, and all the ice shatters. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was the most badass thing in the world. Oh, it looked fantastic. So all these years later, mm-hmm. I am playing uh, Ravana, the ice wizard mm-hmm. in your in your, your game. I get fifth level spells. I grab Cone of Cold. And I think to myself, well, hell, I can do the Shiva maneuver now. You definitely could. <laughs> and so whenever I could in game, whether it made sense or not, whether it was the most optimal move to do or not... I would always follow up a cone of cold with a shatter spell because mm-hmm. that was just the move. Yeah. And you know what? We get, I don't care what was going on, man. Mm-hmm. I don't care who did what in that combat, what the story implications were. Man, if I got to pull my, my cone of cold shatter combo, yeah. I was a happy camper that game. Yep. Very much so. Several times you were at, you were like, wishes and stars. What was your star? I'm like, I did the combo. You did the combo. Yeah. I did the thing. Yeah. I'm the ice princess. Yep. And that's that was one of the reasons why I leaned into it for mm-hmm. your 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 bad guy kill, the one you wanted to kill. Exactly. I gave it exactly what you wanted. Exactly, you knew that was a motivator for mm-hmm. you. Knew I wanted to kill him that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. so I so I I. I had the whole thing done in a shadow so that you had to walk upon it to like walk in and realize you had done it. Like yeah, and make the decision of that was cool. That was really cool. Yeah, <laughs> you know that guy needed to chill out oh geez where are we going there now no we're not okay okay um all right so the next one yes thank you Knox in the box in the live chat it is exactly the gift of the move i was talking about uh if you're a patreon you can have access to the live chat channel on the discord and and join us uh then there's the johnny yeah i i kind of feel like a lot of my characters end up being the johnny because i tend to I tend to put my character into a point where he's showing off skill sets. Like, they are a personal something. They need to make bonds with other people or connect in some way Mm -hmm. or show off in some way of themselves. Yeah. Like, it's not a power trip. It's just a, like, hey, this is who I am, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. And it's some some of it's limelighting, some of it is not. Some of it's just sitting in the background, like, doing the thing that you do. Like, a lot of my hacker characters were this way. Yeah. Where yeah. it was like, what do you do? I hack. What else do you do? I said I hacked. Right. Like, I also drink coffee while I hack. What more yeah, do you want? Like, like, sorry, dude, you put me on the job for one thing, and that's yeah, what I'm doing right now. Exactly. You know, kind of thing. If you needed me to kick ass, you should have asked a different dude. You I know, got one job in the shadow run. It's stupid, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I'm going to do it better than any of you guys. But the idea is that that feeling uh, as the Johnny is to make something work that seems unintuitive and keep it fun. Like, make it the fun of the thing that you do. Yeah, yeah. It's a form of self-expression is what yeah. it is. Like, yeah. I wanted to do this thing not because it's it's the most optimal or no. because it's the most flashy, but because I thought it was a neat idea, and I, want, I think I can make it work. Right. And in it, you could say, like, well, that sounds a lot like Timmy, but the answer is it's a motivational act, mm-hmm. not so much like I'm pizzazz. 
you know, like, yeah. I, which is kind of the cross between the two of those. Um, Johnny, the Johnny thing, I would say, tends to dig more into interpersonal reasons for what they're doing. Yes, very much Whether so. it's their career or something they're trying to do as their career. Mm-hmm. Um, or even just like, you know, my thing is finding family. And they just try and find as much family as they can. Yes, yes. All those fit into it. Um, I tend to think the Johnnies of the story are often the people who collect every puppy and fox and whatever animal. Like, they, they're there for that. You know, mm-hmm. if you bring a baker out and give it a name, you've you, you've already given the Johnny what they want. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So it, it that kind of a thing tends to, to pull those types of personalities toward them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one, I mean, Spike kind of calls itself what it is. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you've ever sat in a room and looked at somebody and said, we're playing a TTRPG, realize this isn't a board game. Yeah. But I'm going to win. That's a Spike. That's a Spike. Um, I mean, uh, ordinarily, we would call these people power gamers uh, in, a lot of, in a lot of instances. But it's yeah. just, they're, look, these are games. Yes. RPG stands for role-playing game. game. Yeah. And a lot of people look at games and say there are win conditions. Yeah. And and those win conditions may be amorphous. They mm-hmm. may change with whatever the story is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, God has helped me. There's a lot of YouTube channels and stuff of like that and Reddit posts and forum threads dedicated to how to build the most optimal warlock in, uh, yeah. uh, in Dungeons and Dragons. So there's a lot of spikes out there, you know? Oh, yeah. And... Again, that's not to say that this is a bad personality type. We no. make no ethical call on this. None. But the way that some people have fun with role-playing games is seeing what they can take the system, mm-hmm. regardless, kind of regardless of the story, mm-hmm. um, and, and see how they can most optimize the system. Yeah. And for... there's – I would say for me I have been a spike in some games because the game wants you to be a spike. Oh, yeah. I mean, you if you've got a Grognard city in front of you running the game, their job is to murder you. A Grognard, by the way, in case anybody does not know the definition of that word, is in like an old player yeah. who has like survived the OSR days of second edition D and D and stuff like that. So. Yeah, tends to not blend a lot of story. Tends to do direct combat, dungeony things like yes. bring it back to basics. Yes. Um. And in that sense, the I'm not, and again, I'm not discounting your fun. That is a total thing. Mm-hmm. But I've been in those games where it's like, okay, this person is clearly running the game that way. I'm going to work on my character. I mean, I remember a game where Overwatch literally made a spell-slinging archer where every arrow was spell-enhanced. Like, had a, effectively were magical arrows that were scrolls he was shooting. Uh, yeah, I've I've run that in Hades before. I know how powerful it is. Yeah, and just 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 to take out the DM, basically mm-hmm. <laughs> firing arrows through the NPCs to take out the DM. Yep. But I mean, it, and that's fine. That can be a lot of fun. I mean, in some games, oh, sure. Like everybody's a spike trying to just sure. chew their way through things. Absolutely. And like, why not? Look, look, nobody likes losing. No. You know, I mean, it can be dramatically compelling to lose, but you don't like it necessarily, right. you know. Right. Right. So why wouldn't you feed your inner spike? Yeah. Why wouldn't you set yourself up for success, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, no, it's absolutely understandable. Like I said, no, no, no moral failings there. Yeah. Um, so 
Now that we kind of understand that there are a bunch of different things that motivate players, and we've talked a bit about what those things are. Their psychology. And how different people are blends of these things. Mm -hmm. How do you get the investment then and pay off? Like, how do you get from this person's a Timmy, or this person's a killer, or an explorer, or whatever, to how do you implement that into your game? How do you even discover that they are those personalities in the first place? I mean, I've I've seen the silly thing where literally people hand out questionnaires before their first game session. Here's your Myers-Briggs personality Exactly. And I'm like, okay, first off, that's not going to help once the game starts rolling. True. Because you will change. True. You just change. Um, I often, we've often said, just ask. Yeah. And ask often. Because if you see a change, ask about it. Because there may be a change going on there. It may be weeks between game sessions, and in those weeks they think a hundred times faster than their character did. And now the following week, they kind of feel differently about that last thing that happened. Yeah. And they may not tell you, they may just start playing, and then you're like, well, that's different. Yeah. Like, how do I do that? And so, the players don't always know what the character wants, but if you present them with questions about certain things that even you're questioning it gives them the time to work through it yeah and it doesn't have to be you know anything terribly complex literally just be like hey how are you feeling about uh about this this particular character what are what do you think your character's thoughts are yeah and and often... oh that guy f that guy oh okay tell me more about that yeah especially before you start doing something with quote that guy uh-huh like as a storyteller if you've written some things about that guy because you have ideas about what the character might think you you're already going too far yeah because you have no idea truthfully sure you know as much as we like to say the plot doesn't last when the players hit the table npcs motivations need to be their own motivations not something based upon what you believe the pcs are going to do Mm -hmm. ask like get into there um in in lieu of that you know if you're not one to ask there's nothing that says you can't create a challenge that is simple to understand, but hard to fulfill. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the it's the trolley incident kind of a thing where literally they are they are recognized to do something, but to do that they have to make a decision. Yeah, you yeah. know, now they either get this or they get this, and that that break should be what you're trying to find out the truth about. Sure. And sometimes they're not prepared to answer at that time. Sure, let them think about it. There mm-hmm. shouldn't be a, you know, thing. Like, the direct trolley issue of, like, you know, TikTok, people are going to die in five minutes. Okay, that's a little harsh. But, like, if you're given the choice where, like, okay, you guys just captured the bandits, you know, and, and they gave up. Okay, great. They gave up. Yeah, so we're going to we're gonna round them up. Uh, the guard will probably uh, uh, make a decision on uh, what, uh, what kind of punishment they'll receive, whether they'll go to jail or just, you know, whether we'll just kill them all back here. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, does the player care? Right. Is is just murdering a bunch of surrendered bandits, like, is that on the table? Is that a thing that we're gonna do? Yeah. Guys, and, how do and, we... And it's, and it's how the, do we feel about it's this? It's the yeah. Jon Snow moment of, like, here's the sword, sir. Uh, the, the execution happens out back. Yeah. And now it's like, do you take the sword and go do the job? Or do you tell your friend and commanding officer or whatever to like, go shove the sword? Or just like, this isn't Preferably me. Preferably not into a you bandit. Know, the, the, this isn't me kind of a thing. Yeah. Or worse, and, th- and this is the ultra to this, which is always my favorite, because uh, it, it, it brings up um, 
uh, The Expanse, is the sword gets handed to the NPC that they very much like, and that NPC is not a killer. Mm-hmm. And they're very questioning whether or not they can do the thing. Do they encourage them, or do they take oh, the blade whoa, from their hand? One of the best scenes in The Expanse. <laughs> I know just the one you're the talking Amos about. The Amos scene. Yep, yes. Yep. Yep. You're not that guy. But, but I, I am. am. <laughs> like, oh. but, but And that's the thing is if you can present, you don't always have to give the choice to the player to do the thing. But you can give them the choice to assist someone else either into it or yeah. out of it. Sure. And that right there can be a much harder decision to make than doing it themselves. Yeah, yeah. The 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 trick is is that well, the the reason this is on the list is because you're gonna. F- it's only through these having to make these hard decisions you're gonna start figuring out real quick what your players or what your mm-hmm. characters about. Yeah, you know. This is a situation when you're faced with a big moral dilemma and you really don't know what to do about it as a character that you're going to have to make some choices. Mm-hmm. And you're, as the storyteller, you get to watch that character make that choice. Mm-hmm. And you get to then collect a lot of data about what that what drove that decision talk to your player afterwards mm-hmm. what made you make that decision yeah. what was going through your head when you made that decision yeah. why did you choose a over b what would have happened if you'd have chosen b how close to choosing b were you yeah you know was and... it a was it a like oh i could never and you chose a or was it a oh wow is do i do i choose the crappy thing with a good outcome or the good thing with a crappy outcome you know yeah. um and you're going to learn a lot about what goes through your characters' heads. And all of that is going to help you figure out what motivates them. Yeah. And then I think the next step right back after that is asking the question in story about that thing and finding, was that was that just a, a slip? Mm-hmm. You know, was that them pushing their darkness? And now you can question them pushing that darkness? Sure. Or was it a matter of like, oh, you're a leader, but you're that kind of leader? Yep. Make you know. make that action have consequences and see how it plays out not only in the short term, but the long term as well. And that's an important character building moment for you right there. That keeps the interest up, too, because now they're like, oh, there's more of this going on. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to figure out a lot of good motivators for your for your player right there, watching them deal with that situation. And I'm going to say this. That also builds upon the character, the Telemundo who is going to watch that situation and grab a bag of popcorn and just mm-hmm. slowly eat more. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, let's see here. So they're doing this kind of stuff presents its own level of engagement that keeps the player interested for what's going to happen to their character next, what the yes. next piece that's going to push that. The idea being that it's... it that the end is what keeps them engaged and pushing the also the idea that you know it's good to to keep them engaged because now they're not going to put their character doing stupid things mm-hmm. they're going to take that step back from danger because they're like interested in figuring out what's going to happen to their character sure because within the story a lot of people lose the mindset and they're like i'll just make another character yeah but once they're invested in their own character and their own character story 
they they tend to not want them to die. Like, yeah, that's, that's the thing, you know. <laughs> like I kind of want this. It's where I keep all my stories. It's where you I keep, know, yeah, it's where I keep all my stories. But like, you know, you... S- slaps the top of the character sheet. This baby can fit so many stories in there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it's it's the truth. Is at a certain point you're like, I like this thing now. Like I can't just replace this. Yeah. I kind of want to keep this around. Yeah, yeah. Self preservation and attachment is a pretty big motivator. So. Yeah, and and also in the same regard, if you've got that player who is watching something unfold mm-hmm. and their character is invested in how those interactions occur. I kind of still want to keep that investment, bringing another character. Those, those, those people don't know them. Yeah. There's no trust there. Yeah. So they're part of it. They're, they're maybe even the motivating reason why something might be happening mm-hmm. because they're the ones who are, who they believe are pushing all the balls in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So, all right, so one one question I've heard a lot about, like, player motivation in general mm-hmm. is, um, okay, so I have uh, enticed a player. They've, they've become attached to some aspect of my story. Mm-hmm. But that aspect takes them entirely off into left field, and that's not where the plot's going. <laughs> and now they're, like, trying to chase, you know, tilt at some windmill way over there, and I want them to go rescue the princess from the dragon, and they're just... Not interested. Quantum plot hooks? Quantum plot hooks, yeah. <laughs> that, that is always the answer. The answer is it's fine. You can always work, as long as there is interest, you uh-huh. can work with the interest. Yeah, yeah. But without interest, it's very hard to get them to go into the cave. It, you know, that's true, that's true. Um, And I, you, see, you see quantum plot hooks. Uh, I, I, think that's, I think that's half of the answer. I think it is. Okay. Um, the, the, the more full answer is that you take that interest that you think branches off into left field away from your plot and like a basket weaver, you're going to grab that, that offshoot, that reed, and you're Mm -hmm. going to bend it back into your plot and weave it right back in. Okay. They're still going to chase after it, but now it's going to point at your plot again. Yep. Okay. So. Your player has become infatuated with the farmer's daughter in the village they're in. Mm-hmm. You know what? First off, good on you. Yep. Solid. Second off. Um, now she's part of the plot. Now, this can happen in a lot of ways. Yep. But she's... If you're interested in the in that farmer's daughter mm-hmm. and not the plot, then the farmer's daughter becomes the plot or part of the plot and you're going to be looped back in. Yep. Okay. So... Easy one off the top of my head, probably the first one everybody's thinking right now listening to this, kidnapper, drag her to the dungeon. Mm-hmm. She's she's the one the goblins kidnap. Yep. Boom. Now you're invested in wanting to find her and get her back because you're infatuated with her, and you're going to go fight the goblins in the dungeon, which is what I wanted you to do in the first place. Boom. Done. Mm-hmm. Um, have her provide meaningful clues or a service while on downtime. Like, oh, okay, sure, you can be infatuated with the daughter. Okay, maybe we're going to take a little break from the dungeon crawl now or whatever it was we were doing. She can tell you a story about the dungeon because you've taken the time to develop a social bond with her. Mm-hmm. Be it romantic or friendship or whatever. Yeah. You know, over over a bottle of wine, she's going to tell you some ancient lore that's going to be helpful for you in the future. Yep. And there, therefore, your investment has paid off. Yep. But she has pointed you towards the main plot to be able to use that information. Yep. Okay? Yep. Um, have her become interested in becoming an adventurer. Like I one one of my favorite ones is is, is the is the I'm interested in this person. This person is going on an adventure. Crap, I'm going on an adventure. Like <laughs> Yeah. 
Absolutely. It happens more often than you think. I mean, yeah. whole, people pick up and move whole cities just because, you know, their their loved one, you know, got yeah. a new job or something like sure. that. Like, it's scary. I don't know anyone there. I'll have to find a job. We might be couch surfing, but I'll do it for love. Yeah. It's a story that happens every day. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Modern. Constantly. Constantly. You know? And so that using that metaphor can be exceptionally powerful. Exactly. Who's to say this farmer's daughter doesn't go, I could do that. I could wield a sword. Let's do this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's a dangerous place. Then you shouldn't go alone. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I tended yeah. to your wounds when you came to my house. I can tend to them in the dungeon as well. Let's yep. go. You yeah. know? Um. Or, you know, maybe she has, like, the other one I thought was, like, maybe she has a key to a mm-hmm. secret part of the dungeon that was, like, passed down through her family for generations. You know, yeah. 120 years ago, her ancestors were the ones who built this dungeon in the first place or something like that. Right. And she doesn't know what this key does or where it fits to, but she knows that it ties in somehow. Yep. And her great-grandmother gave it to her. Yeah. The on her MacGuffin. third birthday, you know. Yeah. And it becomes a MacGuffin now. Yeah. And now... Again, that bond with that character, the person who said, well, I'm interested in dealing with this character rather than going on the adventure, now gets something paid off for it and gets directed right back into the dungeon. Yep. Yep. I love it all. I love it all. So take that plot and motivate it inwards. Um, Mm -hmm. Give you a quick example of something I was thinking for my for my story. Sure. Okay. This is actually a little little sneak peek and some some pretty big vagaries here. Uh All right. At some point, you guys are going to end up in the Imperial City. Of, of, course, of you, course. You gotta. You, yeah. can't, you can't be in Cyrodiil and not end up in the Imperial City. That is accurate. All right. So, Thalion, my my Sweetums character, mm-hmm. hates Daedric cultists. Who doesn't? That's a motivator. Yes, that is. Okay? he is. That is a killer motivator. Yes. He, he sees them. He wants to destroy them. Makes sense. Cool. All right. So, that's one motivator. There is a cultist that you have encountered recently mm-hmm. that has gotten away from his character. Yes. Now, Thalian is also trying to accomplish a great magical goal that will require special tools. Yep. This Achiever. is another motivator. It's called the Achiever. That is very much Achiever. All right. So since the party's going to end up in the Imperial City at some point, and I know he's going to want to kill cultists, mm-hmm. and he's going to want to get these tools, mm-hmm. so this could go... As the alien dragging the country, or the, 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 the group across the country, hunting down not only the cultists that eluded him, mm-hmm. but also the tools he needs for his personal quest. Yep. And all of that just distracts from the main plot, because he's got his own little Don Quixote thing going 100%. Or it could go, you guys go to the Imperial City on main plot business, because mm-hmm. you need to be there for main plot reasons. Of course. While you're there... You cross paths with this cultist that Thalian hates. Because why not? What? Where else is she going to turn up, right? Quantum plot. And it so happens she has one of the tools that Thalian is looking for. What? But she needs him to do something. Like, look the other way. Let her get away. And right, she'll right. give it to him, you know? Right. Oops, I'll drop this. Exactly. Exactly. So, like... All of a sudden now, we have this gigantic motivator that is just drawing this one player. It it you, you could use it as a distraction, but you could use it as the main thing in your plot. You can you can weave it in and tie it in. And now yep. all of a sudden, you've got multiple different motivators pointing your characters inwards towards yep. your plot yep. all at the same time. And, and this is why we don't write more than scaffolding. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't know what's going to motivate them. I had no idea this cultist was going to exist as or- a... Four game sessions ago. Yep. You know? 
Yep. And I, I don't think I really truly understood his whole I need to build this thing to accomplish the big magical goal until about two game sessions ago when yep. I had an out-of-character conversation with him one night at like 11.30 when we were trying to fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, without without those things, without talking to my player, mm-hmm. without watching how you know they, they handled the experience of playing their character at the table, I wouldn't have known neither of those motivators existed. Yep. And now I know exactly how to how to tie him into the plot, and actually, it's a really good plot. So yeah, yeah, yeah hey, why not? Yeah. All, All right. right. Questions I think are excellent. Questions. There's some excellent. that are very deep, so I think we should get to them. Let's let's go. Let's hit the road. All right. Nevim's got a, a few. Um, are player and character motivators the same? On surface, I will say yes. In practice, no. But it tends to be more yes because your player is the one who's avataring the character. And in the end, you need to understand the uh, psychograph that you're, that they're, that they're playing the game based upon. Yeah. And that will motivate through to the character. I I think oftentimes too, uh, it functionally doesn't matter simply because you're going to have people who go, I understand. I, as the player understand, this is not the right thing to do, Mm -hmm. but my character thinks it's the right thing to do. Yep. And it'd be fun if mm-hmm. I caused a little chaos, if yep. I did the wrong thing, yep. you yep. know? <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. And and that's the understanding that, like, what motivates the character mm-hmm. encourage, is, should encourage the player. Yes. And, and that's why it's kind yes. of a yes. It's symbiotic, essentially. Very much so, very much so. Uh, so how do you tell something is a player motivator? Simple. You see the look in their eyes when it happens. One, they talk, they, they move faster, they lean into it, like, it... It's the chips on the table that they can't stop eating, you know? It is the inconsequentials. Yeah. Now, sometimes they will tell you. I we, We've talked about, you know, doing breakdown at the end of, you know, your wishes and stars, your roses and thorns, whatever you yep. want to call it, at the end of your game. Ask your players straight up what they liked, what, what could make your game better mm-hmm. next time, what they hope to see next time. Those are all going to, you know, be pretty big indicators. But, yeah, when you say, you know, oh, uh, this thing touches off that thing, and bam, there's these gigantic explosions, and the explosions rip through the fireworks factories, it all goes up, and you watch that one character's eyes just go wide like a cat watching a sparkly toy dangled in front of them. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay. They okay. like that. Yeah, that that that's that person's inner Timmy. Yep. yep. You know. Yep. That's what they want. That's what they, they want. They want the spectacle. So okay. yeah. So so watch for their enjoyment. Mm-hmm. The players' enjoyment. What steps them just a, a half step back, and you get to see the truth behind the veil. Yep. So, uh, how do you create a compelling motivator? So, I I'm gonna I see this question as a little deeper than than the face value of it, which is that compelling motivators come into play when the player becomes the character. Mm -hmm. That's how you know it's compelling because it's something they've dropped into so deeply that they've kind of lost themselves. And you can't necessarily create those, but you can help facilitate access to those by watching what they're interested in and constantly putting the crumbs out there to, to fall into it. That is an excellent answer. So that is an excellent answer. You can't create them. You just have to kind of find them and allow your characters to lean into them. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hey, there's a there's a trail here. Let's set up a camera and see what comes through. Yeah. So, yeah. The yeah. the short the shorter answer I might give that is an addendum to that. Sure. Is just simply um creating a compelling motivator um 
make it personal. Yeah. Make it personal. If the the character will feel far less motivated the more distance between them and I, I mean like emotional distance between them and the thing. Yeah. Um so you know in the Thalian example that I gave, you mm-hmm. know, he has talked to this cultist directly. He yep. has wiped out this cultist's other fellow cultists to mm-hmm. the last man and has basically sworn his life to doing this as a job. Mm-hmm. So if I drop a cultist in front of him, I know that's something that he's going to be like, no, we have to eliminate this person. Where there's one, there will be more. There will be more. We yeah. cannot let this cancer spread. They mm-hmm. are like termites. Let's go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I see an ant. Kill the ant. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So it's because it's personal. Yeah. You know? You know, just as much as... And, and that's a great example of like those types of situations, but there's no difference to that to someone who attaches themselves to NPCs and wants to know their stories. Yeah, absolutely. And wants to be in there. The compelling motivator behind that is alter that person's life, that NPC's life, and watch them, watch that player and character change. Yep. Yep. Watch that character uproot their entire routine to try to save that NPC from whatever you've done to them. And it it doesn't have to be huge. Doesn't. It really doesn't. Put them in a dilemma, and suddenly they're like, guys, we have to fix this. We have to do something about this. Yeah. And I know, because that's what's happening in my game mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and what about GM motivators? <laughs> I think we had a whole episode <laughs> on this. I, I think the, the best thing, and, and I'm going to say this as far as from, from a storytelling aspect, when you see your players motivated by actions that you achieve, uh-huh. you will be motivated to continue the plot. Yeah. To move it in that direction. Yeah. Don't, don't grind, don't, don't sand down your players' emotions and gameplay by going against the grain. Mm-hmm. That is not what you want to do. Lubricate the story. Follow the flow. If they're leaning in a direction, like you did, yeah. with cultists, make, now cultists are a thing. Okay, you want to fight cultists, cool. Now cult, yeah, there's cultists everywhere. Yeah. Screw it, let's yeah. go, yeah. you know? Now, now cultists are the thing, and there's a head to this cult that you could cut off if you can get your hands on it. But it's going to cost you. What is it going to cost you? That guy's daughter. Yeah. I like that guy's daughter. Well, now it's a party thing. So, yep. you know. Yep. We got a, oh, we got a dragonborn in in, in, uh, in in my group. Okay, so cool. Dragons are now a thing. Did somebody say dragons? Man, I got a dragon slaying sword. It's plus 12 against dragons. Okay, cool. Now I guess dragons are really a part because yep. I got two players invested. Yep. Let's go, you yep. know. Yep. <laughs> So Knox asks, uh, what's the best way to handle motivators that seem to divide or put the players at odds? <sighs> this is a hard one because... There are two ways you can handle it. Yeah. My my first thought is this. Um, and this is just me. I tend to try not to put players at odds with each other because that can disrupt the game feel yes. at the player level. Yes. Um and it gets real, real dicey. Like, any table will say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the best thing you can do about it, and this is just me, is that if you have two players who are coming at odds because of a motivation that's going on, is you make it about both of them having to lose something to succeed. Yes. Yes. Like, that's it. We we just mentioned the dragon in my yes. game. And yes. I've... Uh, it's it's a game of steal the bacon essentially between yeah. the two of them. Yep. One of them has sworn an ancestral oath to destroy the dragon. 
the other one is now scrambling to try to find a way to circumvent needing that dragon to figure out who he is mm-hmm. and what his powers mean. Yep. Yep. Because he knows he's not going to be able to stop the other guy from destroying that dragon. And he low-key feels like it needs to get destroyed himself, but it is also the key to his power. Yeah. 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 So, uh, the second part of that is, do you create or suggest a compromise or leave it up to the players? No. First off, the I'm just going to put this out there. The moment that you enter things like that, a compromise, a way to settle... Mm-hmm is the moment you've removed their agency within that aspect of the story. Hard agree. Um, It is far better to give them both a trolley solution that they both need to lose something with, or are forced to do something hard together to gain something at all, than one wins and one loses. Yeah. I must say that line from uh, from uh, Star Trek Lower Decks. Oh, I hated that solution. So did I. We compromised. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. So that that's that's the best I can say about that one. Knox is that anytime you're going to do that, remember that you have to think about how can it suck for both of them, and they still win. And I I, th- I think this question presupposes that there's animosity between the players. That needs mm. to get sorted out by an arbiter. I think if it's animosity between the players, you need to that needs to be settled outside a game. Yeah, Just discuss yeah. that out. Don't don't solve in games out of in game problems out of game, and don't solve out of game problems in game. Correct. You know. Correct. Um. But I think like I think it's okay that you put players at odds. Like I'm, on one hand, you can you can pit them against each other as mm-hmm. long as you monitor that situation and you make sure that like you know it's it's not going to cause animosity between the players it's it creates drama between the characters but not animosity between the players correct you know correct um i think at a mature enough table that's not going to happen like i'm right. not worried about matthew and steve being upset with one another because of what regar and tristan are doing with this dragon. Right. And always communicate. Get out, get away from the table for a couple seconds with those two and be like, are you guys cool? Because they may look at you, oh yeah, we talked about this before the game. We're totally cool with Oh each yeah, other. we're high-fiving right we're, now. Like, like literally I'm sending text messages back before checking in and everything. Going, this is great. Right. Yes, Like exactly. we're cool, we're cool. You know, and at that point you're like, okay, let me know like, what's the safe word. Mm-hmm. Is it pineapple? Is it pi- is yeah. pineapple okay? You know, <laughs> and, but but I think the the other the other answer to that question is like I said, you know, kind of that weave it back into the story sort of right. thing. You know, if you've got players at odds that are divided and they both want to go in opposite directions over something and they seriously cannot come to a compromise, and it is getting to the point where they can't they can't reconcile and go in the same direction. Find a way for one solution to lead to where the other one is kind of pointing. You know? Yes. Um, Just try to weave it back in. I can't come up with a decent example for you, but, you know, uh, maybe maybe they, they both just lose and the game goes forward and it's fine for it. Like, nobody dies or anything like that, but just there's a crappy outcome, the whole thing goes to crap, and neither of them need to worry about it anymore because it doesn't exist. Right. And we can all move on as a dysfunctional yep. adventuring group yep i agree mm-hmm. i agree um overwatch asks can you give an example of a motivator that you thought would work well but fell flat i can think of one that i killed in the crib before it came to the table matt steve steve okay because I, I remember the matt one that died at the table 
Oh wow, really? Okay, to re- remind me because I'm I'm not I'm not remembering. Uh, the uh, the thieves guild uh female face. Oh, that yeah, that was. I think that's a great example. I thought I recognized a budding romantic interest. Yeah, I. It it very much looked like it for the rest of the he, table. Like, bought her an expensive bottle of wine and was yeah. like checking out her legs, you know, yeah. shapely and clad in skin tight leather, and he's sure. like. Hey, all right. I'm okay with this. Right. So I was like, she she went to him like at the end of the adventure when they were you guys were going to be going back to, right. to your city, and she was like, Hey, you know, if you're ever in Skingrad again, you know, look me up or something like that. And he's like, Yeah, I just handed you an expensive bottle of wine because you're a thief, and I knew you were you know motivated by uh, um by wealth. Uh, don't read too much into it. Bye. Yeah. And I was like, Oh. Okay, I didn't expect I was going to be the one with a bucket of cold water dumped on me. Exactly. <laughs> but but part of that is that understanding and communicating with the player because you read one thing and that's not how the story was yeah. going with that. Yeah. And it it fell dead flat. And you know what? That's okay. Yeah, it's great. That's okay. It was a great moment either way. And I would honestly say even if Matt did come back to you and he's like, "You know what? My character is an idiot and doesn't know how to communicate and mm-hmm. I'm I'm honestly kind of rethinking that moment. And you're like, don't worry, you'll see her again. Right, right, that, that's right. That's all you have to say at that point, because that's a motivator. Mm-hmm. If she shows back up again, that's a thing. Yeah. You know, you yeah. can use the fact that she was slated, and she's never once been denied. Right. For, like, for a sake, she just walk up to him and slap him. I'm pretty sure I deserve that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, and those are the things. Uh, the second part is, uh, is there something that you would thought was inconsequential turned out to be a big player motivator? Um, yeah, I, I will be that honest with you. I did not imagine Steve reshaping his entire character's motivation in the world. To killing that dragon. Yep. I threw that in there for Matthew and Matthew alone. Mm-hmm. And I got a second character entirely hooked on that plot by sheer accident, and it is now his one and only driving force in the world. Yep. No idea. Had no idea. But, I mean, it all makes sense. Yeah. I look at I look at it now, and it all makes sense to me how it happened. I, I can't believe I didn't expect it to happen. But I think... I didn't have enough faith in my player to understand the lore behind the Nords and the dragons and understand the consequences of the dragon war and who the dragon cults were and all that jazz. I gave him a little side reading to do. I was like, oh, yeah, by the way, if you want to check this out, you can. I didn't know he went down like a three-day research rabbit hole Mm -hmm. and decided it was all so awesome and he wanted to bring it into the game. He didn't say anything to me about it. Yep. I give players reading assignments all the time. Like, oh, hey, if you want to check out the lore on this, this is it. 80% of the time, nobody looks at it. Or if they do, they skim through it just to get a rough idea of what it is. And then, you know, that's it. This guy, (laughs) this guy is like texting me in the middle of my workday going, okay, so this is what's going to happen. And I'm like, holy crap, dude, you have thought about this. This is what I'm going to say to the dragon when I face him in mortal combat. And I'm like, okay. Yep. Holy cow, did not, did not expect that at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think for me, at least in my last game, um, I didn't know back in, like, Act 1, 
when I first brought the players in, what would be motivators? And so I threw a lot of different elements out there, a lot of different NPCs, a lot of different pieces, and I never expected uh, actually Overwatch's character in that I uh, my my mage uh, or powerful wizard um, who is into divination to latch on to this the character Kamor mm-hmm. and and almost revere him like the, like a creator and I had to carry that character that NPC and and used him as basically a guide from that point forward because I knew he was important. I knew he was going to be a cyclical motivator mm-hmm. for Overwatch's character every time it came back around. That that was going to, no matter what was going on, there were things to listen to right there. Yeah, yeah. You know, regardless of where he thought the world was going to go, this guy is telling truths. And that gave, like, it was a, I wouldn't say it was a throwaway character, but it was a character that I was literally just going to have mad. Mm-hmm. Like, because he had been thrown in a box and lost to time. You know, what, who is this dude? No, this, this dude has some history. Let's get him fixed. Okay. All right. You guys take him back to the elves, have him fixed. Here, here's some lore he has. Good. I need to know more. Let's build him a lab. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's do that. You know? And it was just interesting how much it attached. And I was able to use that character again as a, a reoccurring NPC who always was a guide, always was a truth to be told. Um, I think the only thing that I had, I don't, I think the one that fell flattest for me was, uh, when developing the third act, uh, with, um, uh, Trev's character, the orc, uh, who was kind of this, who would, who would be, you know, who had, uh, left his land to be a knight and to have all this glory and then I presented all of you with, like, false versions of yourself who are running around basically theatrically playing your your characters for the 250 years you guys weren't around. I had this orc who was effectively, like, a bandit who had, who had joined up to become him, mm-hmm. effectively, and, and, and masquerade. And you show up at that dude's town and I basically did the the Firefly Janestown moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it one hundred percent fell flat. He wanted nothing to do with that town. <laughs> he wanted out of that town as quickly as humanly possible. And I was like, well, that wasn't a motivation that was going to work. <laughs> like, right, he just, he just right. walked away from it at high speed. Like the next night, he wanted out of that town. I was like, mm, yep, don't like it. Bye. Exactly. I was like, <laughs> that story's gone. Like, like I felt very much like Matt Mercer, like. <sighs> Just throw it out the window. Like yep. that, that whole adventure is gone. You yep. know what? Throw them away. Yep. Just just, just kill fine. your darlings. You it's not kill worth your darlings. it. Yep. You, you got to just walk away. It's fine. It's fine. If it ain't going to work, you can't force it. Yeah. So. All right. We got one more here. Yeah. Uh, right. So Rook asks, uh, how can screen time be balanced amongst players with different levels of investment in their character? Uh, sorry, in their characters' external goals and storylines. Ensuring that those with more complex narratives don't dominate the spotlight uh, at the expense of others who might be newer or not as skilled as telling their own stories yet. So first off, I'm going to say, I'm going to put this out there. Excuse me. Everyone makes this mistake as a storyteller. It is super easy to be excited and to lean into spotlight characters. It is super easy. Everyone will do it. I still do it. I've watched you do it. It just happens. Um, because you, when the story gets motivated, 
and players start talking and they start attaching themselves in and talking to NPCs and leaning into things, everyone at the table is excited. And you want that excitement to stay going. And it's hard to watch the rest of the table. Mm -hmm. It really is. So the first thing I'm going to say is you will never be as mindful in the moment that it's happening as you'll want to be. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. Do not do not put yourself down for trying to figure out how to balance within a session. It's, yeah. it's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. But one of the things that you can do, and, and again, this doesn't always get bit, this hook doesn't always happen uh, and get pulled at, is having other players necessary or intricate or, or, or uh, integrated within that spotlight moment. So when that player has a an external goal or a drive or a motivation that they're working on, the best thing you can do is tie something else to it to bring them in. It's that Ocean's Eleven scene mm -hmm. where everybody's coming together and they're just like, okay, you know, why are you here? Well, I'm here because I hate that guy and you're going after him. Great. And, uh, you know, you know. So, so why the heck am I here? There's a lot of money, and I know you like money. I do like money. Mm -hmm. You know, it's <laughs> you kind of are looking around the table to see what brings people into it. But at oftentimes, it's that next person who's just like, you know what, guys, I'm not here for the money, and I really don't give two shits about that guy. And as he's walking out the door, you're just like, by the way, your ex girlfriend is his personal secretary, and the guy turns right around and walks in and goes. Go on. Did you say we could get to kill Nicole? Exactly. No, I said your ex girlfriend works for him, but. <laughs> Yeah. If that's what you wanted to draw from the conversation. Yeah. And and that's the <laughs> thing is is that it's it's not so much quantum plot hooking, but it is making sure that other people's points are bound into the same weave. Yes. Yes. So that they have a chance to say, excuse me, did you just say the thing that I've been looking for? Yes. I'm in. Yeah. Like, Go ahead, make your monologue, but when it's all said and done, I'm in on this. I'm kind of leaning on the basket-weaving metaphor again. Yeah, you know? no, I agree. I agree. Yeah, Bending everything back. Every, everybody's their own little strand. Just weave them together. Yeah. You know? It's – and again, I'm, I'm going to – I can't say this enough because it is easy when you're sitting down at the table at the end of the night to be like, crap – Mark was basically talking the whole damn time and everybody complained that like they had the spotlight, mm -hmm. you know, like, but like they're, they're embedded in it. That happens. Yeah. You have to wash that moment. But what you need to do is make sure that the other people's tie-ins and sometimes those tie-ins need to happen in off to the side. Yeah. Yeah. But they need to be part of it so that they can come back to Mark and look at him and say, Hey, we just did. We just discovered this. That's for your thing. Right. Right. And now they're part of that. Mm -hmm. And and the other thing is, sometimes you need to go to Mark and say, hey, when it's, you know, pass the stick every once in a while, too. Yeah. And that's a meta thing. That's an out-of-game sure. thing. If you think that they're talking too much at the table and, and taking the light, pause them. Step them off, you know, after game and be like, hey, I love your energy on the game, but I need you to pass the stick every once in a while. Especially when I'm handing it to somebody else, obviously. Yes, yes. Um, I, uh... I've got six players at my table, and so this is this is actually a question that is a constant thing that is on the forefront of my mind, of making sure that every one of you six players gets sufficient screen time. Yeah. And uh, 
a couple game sessions ago, um, you decided to take one of our NPCs on a field trip, basically, mm-hmm. um, because you've become very invested in this NPC's uh, life and the outcome of the recent events that have happened to him. So mm-hmm. you wanted to try to help him out, and, and that's, a, that's a great little thing. Um, so we had this adventure where basically you guys went on a camping trip, and you – a great portion of the of the adventure was just you guys talking to him. Yeah. And – one thing I'd been hearing from Sean is like, well, I don't know, I don't know what to do with this character. Like, he seems like he's tied to, um, you know, to Lyrilith's character mm-hmm. and stuff of like that. Like, you've all got something going on over there, but I don't, I don't have an in with that character. Yeah, and I thought it's like a, that's a very valid thing. One hundred percent. Okay, how do you make a campfire scene where everybody's all just sitting around talking, how do you make sure that people get equal screen time in that, especially when that when that NPC is tied very specifically to, like, one person, mm-hmm. you know? And that is, you have that NPC invite everyone else at that at, at that, that, that campfire to talk. Mm-hmm. I want, I don't know you. Yeah. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your aspirations. Right. Ask insightful questions. That yeah. seems interesting, but don't you think this mm-hmm. you know how do you feel about that that weird contradiction you've just expressed to me oh okay cool and you i don't know much about you either mm-hmm. you know and every character there gets to get a little bit involved because you've used your power as the storyteller to puppeteer that npc in a way that he turns that spotlight on the character that isn't getting enough spotlight time right yeah and now suddenly they're I'm, the and but then the ball's in their court. Yeah. You know, the the other half of this is, is that your players need to bite. And I, I I'm actually, I'm going to shine the spotlight on Knox in the box. He's in the live chat right now. And he's already, he's, he already said, I feel called out by some of this stuff. So actually I'm going to call you out a little here, a little here, buddy. Um, cause, uh, cause I, 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 I know we've had this conversation in the mm-hmm. past. Um, and that is, uh, you know, Knox tended to be a, uh, I would say a timid player. Let me let me read what just got posted. Oh, okay. Just so you got it. What if it's part of my character's design to be a background sleeper character? Well, buddy, <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what I'm talking about. Is yeah. that the other part of characters getting enough screen time is that when you shine the spotlight on that character, that character needs to do something with it. Mm-hmm. And if they are a either too shy or nervous or whatever to step into the spotlight and take their moment when it is given to them. Or if in this case you have designed your character to be shy and nervous and not and deliberately as a character choice, not step into the spotlight and do anything when it's shined on you, then there's not much as a storyteller you can do. The ball's in their court. Yeah. I, I come back to the, I, I want to say it was one of your characters uh-huh. who basically you were waiting for other players to ask about your background. Oh yeah, and they never did, and you were like, "Oh, why what? is nobody asking? Why is this character such an asshole? Why do they never talk? Has anybody asked him?" No, he, the, the Sam they, Regal they, moment. They, yeah. they seem they seem unapproachable and angry. Yeah, that's probably an important thing, isn't it? And and honestly, what I would say to something like that is. Prompt your storyteller. Yes. Give them a way. Give them the the way that you need that light to be shown. Because we have a cadre of NPCs and moments. 
-hmm. Give us the chance. If we don't know how to do it, there's no way that we can communicate it out to the table to make that moment happen. And that's the key. Like, if you want another player to be interested in your player and your character so that something can happen within story, you have to be part of that equation. Mm-hmm. And, and be motivational either through meta or being very direct with the, the storyteller and saying, hey, I need to expose this part of my backstory. Can we work on that together? Sure. 100%. You know, how, how would you like to start moving through that? Can we make like a little interlude or can we do a side scene or can I add something into a scene where someone shows up and they're like, hey, aren't you so-and-so? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's the thing. Like, that's what helps expose it. In the case of of uh, Thalian literally having a boat show up and him going down to the docks and they're like, you're dead. <laughs> you can't be our ex-boss so, because our ex-boss died five years ago. Yeah, you might look like him, but we are very concerned because your funeral was beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Close casket, but beautiful. Yes, yes, exactly. So, so it's, but it's moments like that. You have to have those exposés to help open the question door to have the players go, Whoa, whoa, whoa! Can we can we get a minute over in this dark alley with him? Who the heck are you? What the heck is this? Right? Like, how do these people not know who you are? Like your name's on the ship. Uh, technically, it's a family name. Oh, all right, whatever. Like <laughs> sidebar. <laughs> it's like, are you going to kill him? Just give us a minute. We're not done yet. <laughs> so, so my my answer to those kinds of to to those kinds of things, like what Rook was saying, and and leading into to to Nox is communication is the biggest key that you can have. Mm-hmm. And don't beat yourself up moment to moment. Yeah. You will yeah. never get it right perfectly because there's just too many variables. Yes, exactly. exactly. So. And some of them are entirely out of your control, like the reactions of the, every player at your table. And that's night to night. Yep. You never know. Yep. You never know. So. All right. Next week's topic. Yes. Next week's topic, we're talking about making dramatic moments out of small scope issues and impacts. I, I like the idea of the butterfly effect in storytelling yeah. because we have the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, we're in control, right? So when a player does something simple, a simple act, mm-hmm. my some of my favorite simple acts are like players who love taking care of, uh, of the urchins, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I give alms to the poor and you're like, okay, let's see. Let's see how that works out in the end. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it may not work out today, Mm -hmm. but what if in like, oh, I don't know, five or six sessions, you see the same, you see someone who's very similar to the person you've been giving alms to now with a stack of books in their hands and some relatively nice clothing. Yeah. And they come up to you and give you a hug and you're like, who is this person? Mm -hmm. And it comes out, it's, it's Urchined Carrie. She started going to school with the money you've given her. Shooter. <laughs> Those books are way, way over, way, way over her level. She's about to start some crap. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, if it, we're, we're we're talking about to, uh, just making making great moments out of very small scope things. Not every game has to be a big, uh, you know, rescue the the world from the brink of cosmic destruction. Sometimes, sometimes you can have really great stories just in a small little seaside town, just making a difference in people's lives. Anyhow, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Are we not? Oh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> Rob is giving me strange looks uh, from the soundboard. And, sorry, uh, everybody. 
Uh, anyways, so you can listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller-Conclave. And uh, join us up on our Discord. We'd love to hear from you there. Shoot us some questions. Join us in the live chat if you're one of our Patreons. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. Yeah, we'd like to thank our Patreon members who do join us in the live chat as well as some of our named members, Knox in the Box, Subjet, Sam, The Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, Hulu, and Sean. We appreciate all of your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find them at patreon.com slash arcane anthems or on uh, Instagram at arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find them at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on YouTube Music. And our outro music, Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout out as always to our family, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and supporting us. Thank you. All of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over the years to give us these great stories to share with you and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you guys so much. Love you. Good night. Good night.